Rasmus Lauga Schmidt. What a player, what a champion. And Denmark are world champions for the third time running, coming out 34-29 winners in a fantastic final against France. Congrats to Denmark. Congrats to the people of Denmark for another great victory. And I do hope to see the whole team in the town square in Copenhagen eating their pancakes for the third time in a row. So Ah. congratulations to Denmark. I am Alex Kulesh. I am, of course, joined by Chris O'Reilly. Come so Denmark. And Brian Campion. Hello there. I don't speak Danish. So congratulations, (laughs) Denmark. It was uh, it was an incredible final. I, I think it lived up to it. Um, Chris, you were there in the arena. How did it feel? Yeah, it was great. The whole day was great. What a day. What a final day. What a fucking long final day. But it was all in its own way quite entertaining. And um, yeah, the final was magnificent. It was... Uh, although uh, the final scoreline is kind of one-sided, it's um, not in... Not in a bad way in the end. You know, it was a close game for the vast majority of the contest. And it looked really dodgy at the start, though, right? With Denmark coming out really strong. We were like, oh, God. I think Brian, you said, uh, I hope it's I hope it's not going to be a shit game now. All your confidence <laughs> in uh, in France's victory gone. But no, great atmosphere. And it's uh, it was only with the national anthems beforehand that I, I truly realized how many Danes were in the arena. Because... You know, among all the yellow in the 23,000 in the end that were there, uh, it's hard to measure just how many fans are in there. But when they can actually turn the volume down on the national anthem and have uh, enough people there to sing it out, it uh, it showed how many Danes were there. And the French, of course, they uh, sang their hearts out and it set, set everything up very nicely, I think, for what was to be yeah, just somebody. There were great storylines in this game. So many great storylines, but I think, um, no, I'll probably jump ahead a bit, a, t- a bit too ahead of myself there because I know I feel I have to defend France a little bit because I did predict them to win. I, I, I did say they might win by five, but <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was me predicting also that at least one of the French goalkeepers would show up. And I didn't realize that I think was it between them? They only made three saves in the end, was it? Or something along those lines. It was very low anyway. Um, and you can't win a, a final like that when you have keepers keepers performing in that way, and that's a that's a bit of a shame. But I did see a lot of people online talking about how oh this is going to be Denmark one three now. It's going to be Danish dominance for the next few years. I don't see anyone beating them. I wouldn't quite say that. I think if had the had the French goalkeepers either one of them showed up, I think it would have been a much closer game. And it was actually pretty incredible that France were able to keep it that close and have such bad goalkeepers on the day. So that was. Uh, Impressive in its own right that the, that the game was kept so close despite... Can I just say here, though, between Gerard and Debonet, they ended up with seven saves. Denmark had 11 saves. So it wasn't mm. that much of a difference in the goalkeeper battle. But I felt like when the moments that the French team needed big saves, that nothing came. 
And when like afterwards, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, Landine, he was a bit average. All he did is made some clutch saves." I was like, "Well, yeah, they were really important. <laughs> yeah. They were really important saves at in certain moments." And I think the emphasis on those saves were huge. Like that after Pitlick scored that underarm shot, I was like, "That's the nail in the coffin." Do you know that? What late in, late in the second half, and then Landine directly afterwards made the save, and I said, "Well, if that was the nail in the coffin, that's a bit of dirt on the on the coffin." Uh, that was really the end of it all, and I think that was just. France didn't have those moments where you think, okay, he needs to pull off a save now, Gerard or or Remy, and just nothing really came. And I think, yeah, it just felt like they really worst weren't there. But yeah, De- Denmark flew into the lead, and that was when basically France didn't have a goalkeeper at the start. But it was really impressive. So uh, Denmark were five goals up with 15 minutes played. They they looked really good. Simon Putlik was putting an, on an absolute show. Really, he he just took it upon himself to be that guy. The same way we kind of saw Giesel do previously, where there was no fear. You ha- like this guy is a debutante at a championship. He he's really only had two seasons of top level handball with Gay Gay, and he was incredible. And after the first half as well. Um, we we could see that Mikkel Hansen was just not doing anything. And apparently that was because he got injured in the Spain game. So uh, TV2 were reporting that Mikkel Hansen did have an injury. And the Danish team just hid that to ensure that uh, France don't plan for a whole different setup. And you could see that in the first half. Hansen didn't take a single shot. He was just standing there spraying passes either side to Giesel and Putlik. And it, and it still worked. Yeah, just getting out of the way, you know. It's like Pretty going much. over to the side, drawing enough attention and then letting the boys go and uh, do the running. But he's, he's like an orchestrator. He was, you know, he was standing in front of his uh, m- musicians and, you know, he's like, oh, here you go, Giesel. And then there's the piano coming in that's that, pianos aren't really in the orchestra are they <laughs> i get what you mean though it was nice apart from getting the instruments wrong it was nice yeah. <laughs> but um but france then so hansen did come off because he just uh, he didn't have it uh, I, I think uh the ultimate plan was to bring Lauga on we'll, we'll get to Lauga in a little bit but france just stayed in it they it, i was surprised that the score you know, going into halftime was 16-15 and they were just getting getting through that Danish defence, um, spraying out wide as well, that they were spreading it. And I think Remily was really, really good in that first half. He took it upon himself to be that guy for France and he, he made sure to keep them in the game. And, you know, you're going into second half and you're thinking, yeah, we have a game. We have an absolute game. Hansen's left the game now. Um, France are looking good. They're, they've done this without a goalkeeper. All they need is a couple of saves in the second half. And, you know, we, we have a game. And, and it got got level. It got really intense in the middle there. But, Chris, as you predicted, some random Danes are going to come <laughs> on and do something special. I'm glad and that prediction came true. <laughs> it was special, wasn't it? You mentioned Hansen there, starting as kind of like a you know 
and basically an injured backcourt player. France did the same thing and uh, with Karabatic in there. He went like, all the talk before the game was, oh, Nikola Karabatic can barely walk. And so I focused my whole watching the warm-up on him. And, you know, he was popping about. He was doing his thing, but he was like, um, you know, when it came to the backcourt shooting in the warm-up, he was the guy who was rather passing the ball to the shooters than doing the shooting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, he is he is just there to be a bit of a cheerleader. But then when he... So he starts at left back and he's playing wing defense. And it's just like, holy... Wait a second, where have all the left backs gone? Where have, like, where have all of France's left backs gone? Uh, because, yeah, Thibaut Brie couldn't shoot. Uh, he, he wasn't in the squad because he had stitches in his finger. Um... Prandi had, I don't know, wrist, ankle, everything wrong with him. He knew he would come on anyway. I mean, he's been stabbed a year ago. Like he <laughs> gonna take more than gonna take more than a bit of a wrist and ankle injury to stop him. But I I think him coming on in the first half is what helped France get back in because it was kind of like both teams in a world championship final were carrying their talisman like on their shoulders in the backcourt. And like it feels really, feels really weird that both Hansen and Karabatic were playing this game. Uh, it was just like too big to <laughs> too big to not play, but they were actively not helping both of the if, teams. If I had it's my hard. conspiracy hat on, if I had my tinfoil on, I'd say mm. the IHF and the TV uh, broadcasters put in a little uh, request for those two superstars to start for Imagine. all the people who are watching. <laughs> To know somebody at least uh, on the court. <laughs> uh, that, that would be my... Your, your old friends, <laughs> Mikkel Hansen and Nikola Karabatic. Before we move on from the start of the game there, did it feel like to you, because when I was watching it, at the first few minutes, I was like, God, France are really struggling with the pace of this game at the moment. They felt like they were, they were, it, found, it, it took them a good maybe 10 minutes to really get going because Denmark just came out and just were flying all over the place. That was another thing we spoke about beforehand. That... Giesel and Pitlick now, who's also there, wasn't was not going to allow France to do what they did to them in the Olympic final, uh, and like and trap Giesel over and over again. And they needed to play incredibly fast. They needed to be as fearless as Pitlick was. I think you said fearless. Like no, like that was that's the first thing I wrote in my notes here. Pitlick fearless uh, <laughs> at the start, <laughs> and he was, uh, and. Uh, yeah, I think they Denmark saw the way to to victory, or at least to an early lead, and basically to do what uh, what Sweden couldn't do uh, on Friday, and just really allow allow no no contact in the backcourt, and just to to move themselves in the counterattack and also in set play. The other crucial moment moment in the first half, and I think it may have decided the game, or uh, it was Ludovic Fabregas getting his second two-minute suspension at about 20 minutes. Um, both suspensions coming from just reefing Giesel. Giesel, you know, he uh, just got past these too fast. And we've seen him many times. And the player that we, you know, we lauded in this championship, Ludwig Fabregas, the, probably the best defender in the world, arguably the best defender in the world, couldn't handle him. He got two two minutes and had to sit down for a long time. And even when he came back on, he had to be careful. 
Uh, and I think getting into foul trouble really, yeah, really was detrimental to this French defense, especially in that second half, because it was incredible seeing, you know, we, we talk about Denmark as a team that uh, has progressed to the new style of handball where it's all breakthroughs, it's all one-on-one, it's all six-meter shots that they're aiming for. And the old boys, Lauga and Mads Wenzel Larsen, just came in and started rocketing shots from nine, ten meters. And we did get a little taste of that already in the first half, which also feels really genius when Kirkalucka went at the right back and Giesel was put out in the wing. It was only for a couple of minutes, but they did the same move again, wing switch. Giesel went back out there. Uh, that opened up a little bit of space. France were like, oh, okay, Giesel, he's gone over there. <laughs> Kirkalaka comes in. Boom, boom. Two goals from nine meters. Uh, and that's it. And like that whole that whole Kirkalaka story is just genius. Like how did they stumble upon this solution? I was staring at them right in the face with what they've been doing on the other side of the court forever. But... What a story for him as well to come from like being fourth choice right back to starring in a world final in his own way. And I just wonder if like the fact that he was given this role is like, Nicholas, you're actually going to be our key defender on this side. And then the attack doesn't matter so much. I don't know if that just gave him a lot more. He looked like a different man in these games. I've never seen him look so strong and confident. He's always been a little, oh, he's got a great shot, but... You know, Kirk Uh But this time, in this final, he looked like a uh, he truly belonged. So that's just another one that really stood out for me in the first half. Absolutely. So in the second, we we let's get on to Rasmus Lauberschmidt because that's an incredible story. He um, had played twenty three minutes in the competition so far. He scored zero goals from three goals. And at one stage, he was about to book his train ticket home because he he didn't think that uh, he could get past his injury. But he did a late medical test um, around just before that semi-final, got the all clear. And in the semi-final, he also just didn't uh, he didn't participate. But in this final, he was a man possessed. He just. It's one of those, he's definitely one of those players that's, who's a born winner. He's the type of guy who's won his whole career. He is part of teams that win, and he's a big reason why teams win, because he has this mentality of, you're not going to beat me. And you have to be such a mentality monster to come in in the second half of the World Championship and produce a display like that. 10 goals from 11 shots. Absolute rockets from the backcourt. And more than that, he was able to break through when France stepped up. He was able to break through as well. He's going around on the left side, on the right side. He did everything. It was an incredible performance. Yeah, the breakdown of the goals. You know, 3 from 3 from 6 metres. 3 from 4 from 9 metres. 1 fast break and 3 from 3 breakthroughs. And you spoke about him being a mentality monster, but this is also a guy who has been crippled by injuries over the years as well. Yeah. And suffering with a, an injury that could have put him out of this championship, yet 
And I don't know if that has a part to play in it. Like once he finally gets his chance, like this is the final, who cares if I break everything again? He just, it was something really old school about his his performance as well. It was, yeah, it was a joy. And every time I like to threw my hands in the air that he, like, how are these, how do these shots keep going in? You know, it belongs in 2013, but it's it's getting the job done. How, how much blame do you put on the goalkeepers for that, Brian? Where in the second half, there was a lot of nine meter shots that that were rocketing in from Lauga and Matt Spencer Larson. Do you put that also on the French goalkeepers? I mean, it's hard to just lump it all on the French goalkeepers. I mean, because the the French players got to that position in the first place. But uh, I I just think France when they needed maybe just they didn't even need that many really, just three or four good saves. And I think they maybe got two. Uh, there was two moments where I caught where Gerard saved two big shots. I was, actually no, it was one Gerard and one from uh, from Desvonne. Um And apart from that, I didn't really really have those stand out of your seat moments. Where like for example, when Kevin Muller came on, and he did really make a few a few crucial saves for them. And I think just in a final, you need that when the momentum's going against you, and they just they just didn't have it. And it was that's that's a really a, a tough situation for the French defense to be put in when you're you're relying on just some some key moments and you just didn't get them and it felt like something really didn't go their way I was reading on Twitter as well that a lot of people were saying that it felt like a lot of the 50-50 decisions were all going Denmark's way with in terms of the referee and I don't know if you felt that I don't know I, I, I think it's one of those where if one team has the momentum it feels like they're getting the decisions mm. uh, I didn't really get that feeling I was, you know, rooting for Denmark, so maybe that that coloured yeah. things a little bit. So uh, maybe I'm not fully objective here, but it, it is just one of those games where Denmark had the momentum, and it feels like everything is going their way. But that's because everything is going their way in the whole game. But there wasn't any big, really wrong decisions. Yeah, I think that the Pitlick one, where he stepped into port on the wing. I had to went to the screen for that one. That probably would have been a red card, as we were saying. And then the pit lick off the court then is a big difference for for Denmark, obviously. But actually, wait, th- th- there is one decision that uh, was clearly wrong, and it was ridiculous that it was called. The French never land inside <laughs> shooting a wing shot. I have never seen a Frenchman called for standing inside while shooting a wing shot. And when Yanis Lan got called for that, you knew the game was over. <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's an agenda there yeah, against them uh, well, one more thing as well like it's it's amazing how jealous people are of, of Gietzel now at the moment it's all online like it's like every video you put up of him now is he's travelling and the video we put up him yesterday of him, the spin he did that's not a travel that's zero step plus three steps it's perfect it's the, it's the perfect example of the zero step plus three steps and and all the retweets are not all the retweets so about 50% of the retweets are all all steps he's on a run he's on a marathon it's just like I think people are completely blurred their vision. He does do it now and again, but that was not an example of it. Yeah, I, I think on on that one, it, it, the slow mo uh, really exaggerates the the zero step because the zero step you're never going to get perfectly two feet on the ground. Like you know, that's not possible, um, and you probably shouldn't do it because that's how you break a, a an ACL. So you know, it's always going to be some difference between the, the the feet landing. But it was a zero step, and then he took his three steps. 
and I think with the speed that Giesel moves, it, it's it's hard to catch that. And you know, the slow-mos always exaggerate things. So I think with that particular one, um, yeah, it it was a very clean move. But um, just just looking at the, this is not about so much fifty-fifty calls, but uh, the things that, uh, without looking back in the game again, you can see two-minute suspensions and penalties. Denmark were given more two-minute suspensions, four to three, and France were given more penalties, seven to one. So it's not like they were being denied the clear things. And and you would probably, if you were trying to look at the other way around, you're like, oh, one team got one penalty, the other got seven. There's something wrong here, but it was France who who benefited from that side of it. Um, but yeah, only the only thing about the, the five steps is yeah that the slow mo gives it, as Alex said, it gives it a different sheen. Um, but that was uh, in the second half. There was uh, I looked like that introduction of Lauga. It was like the battle of the impact playmakers in that third quarter because both teams went for it. Because Mahe was brought in for France, Lauga was brought in for for Denmark, and they almost had kind of Mahe had a kind of a characteristically uh, a good start, but then ended up missing some very important shots. Uh, for the team, particularly one on the break, which was I think Muller's first save, that like arm over the top into the corner where he probably shouldn't have taken it on, and then Lauga was just yeah, score, scoring for fun. So that was a real um, victory there for Denmark in an important phase of the game where they reestablished their control. Yeah, and I think it goes back to uh, kind of my question about the goalkeepers and uh, their role in uh, Denmark's kind of momentum in the second half. It's not necessarily about making all the saves it's about making the save at the right time so Kenta Maia was in really good form he was breaking through but he missed the crucial shot or his shot was saved and I think his confidence took a hit he went one from four in the game he also missed the seven meters Um, but if he had scored that one and got on a bit of a roll. And then you could see Kandamaya continuing. You know, we've seen Kandamaya do incredible things in 15 minutes where he gets like five goals, five assists. But a stop at the right time just completely derailed his momentum. While on the other side, we just saw Leuga growing and growing until a stage where it looked like he was three meters tall and could do whatever he wants because no save came to stop his momentum. I think that that's a that's a good um, point about the yeah, the matchup of the two impact playmakers. Despite all of that, it was super close towards the end again. There was only two goals between them. Mads Menzel-Arsen had done his job. He was taken off. Pitlick comes back in again, scores a ridiculous goal. <laughs> the fearlessness coming back in and uh yeah, Denmark with a victory and it's just something so special about Denmark in these finals these days I mean yes they lost the Olympic final a year and a half ago uh, and going back to what we said at the very beginning about Denmark dominating we know that's not going to be the case because you can still you know you never know what's going to happen on the day but gone are the days from like when we probably started watching these finals regularly at first Denmark getting spanked by Spain in the world championship final Denmark getting spanked by France in the Euro final at home, uh, they, something really has changed about this team where that's never going to happen to them again. And 
it showed in the players who came on that something about this team, even though they not, might not play at all for the whole championship, that they all have the, the confidence in themselves and the confidence from the coach to come in and just make some ridiculous impact in the final when it's necessary. And that is a huge credit to Nikolai Jakobsen. He's done an incredible job uh, with this Danish team, both, I think, embracing the youth. You have to commend him for that. Uh, the fact that he did just believe in Putlik and just put him in from, saw that he was having a great start to the tournament and said, you are our key player now. And by the time of the final, he was the key player. Um, he did the same with Giesel uh, a couple of years back. And, you know, giving those players, it, it's very easy for a coach to just say, Maz Mensa Larsen is, has been with me for years. I'm confident in his abilities. So when the crunch time comes, sit down, Simon Putlik. Mads Mensa is the starting left back. But, it, you know, a lot of coaches would do that. Um, Jakobsen was, you know, gave this trust in the youth and also ensured that the, you know, the old heads and the experienced heads were still there and ready to contribute. And it's, you know, it's easier for a Lauga or Mads Mensa to come in at those stages because they are more experienced compared to the other situation where you start Mads Mensa and then you expect Putlik to come in and make an impact. That's that's a lot of pressure to put on a, a young guy. Um, so we commend him to that. His tactical setup with Kirkulika coming in, you know, he identified defense as a crucial issue. Uh, the Croatia game and then the USA game. To react drastically after the USA game also takes a lot of um well, balls or a lot of like cojones <laughs> cojones I, I don't know maybe that's not even the right word but like to hold yourself and the team accountable for a game that didn't matter is a, a really big step from a coach and to hold all of the players accountable and to come up with a moment of brilliance that was Kirk Luka. Like, I, don't, I, I wonder where, I'm, I wonder if it was just like a shower thought. I can imagine <laughs> Nikolai Jakobsen waking up, having a shower, and then uh, dreaming of his Fleskestai and then thinking, oh, Kirk Luka, that could do it. <laughs> I was looking at, uh, looking at the, you know, the stars that he has tattooed in his arm for each of the, each of the major championships. He's dodgy, like, dodgy tattoos. Um, dodgy tattoos, yeah, but he's like, Oh, where am I? Where would I put the next one? He looks over to his left hand. He's like, "Yes, Nicholas Kirkulik is left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> we could do the same as we do on the left-hand side, but with a left-hander." And then, even in this game, uh, he started with uh, Jakobsen on the left wing instead yeah. of uh, Magnus Landin. I'm not really sure why, because um, uh, there was the nearest side. It was easier uh, to in, easier to make the subs on the near gotcha. side, so because Kirkaloka was on the uh, he was covering the far side. I think he was he was satisfied enough that against France they could make two defensive substitutions. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, that's I'm guessing that's what I was thinking mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, a lot of key decisions, and I suppose that it's a difference to 
let's say Jordi Ribera for Spain, where he got a lot of great praise for in-game management, for really making big decisions within a game to to change the tide of uh, of a match. I think Nikolai Jakobsen is a little bit different where he makes changes before a game and he sets very, very good plans. And the aim is that if the plan is good enough from the start, we won't even need to change. But he still has thought through uh, to change if needed. But his planning for games is so good that... Yeah, Denmark are always favourites. They're always in the lead. And in most cases, they, they win goals. Our Discord chat yesterday was quite active. And I remember I put in there that Simon Pitlick was absolute gold yesterday. And I was thinking about that. Why I said that and I didn't say anything about Lauga. And I think obviously Lauga's in, 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 uh, performance was a surprise and also really, really impressive. But for me, somehow I just couldn't get away from the fact that how young Simon Pitlick is and how much he took everything totally in his stride. And that was just so impressive that he could just do that in the final as well and then just not not wilt under the pressure. Like you said, Chris, earlier, but we've seen these Danish teams in the past when it comes to the big lights sometimes that they have and how the culture has changed so much that we now have a a Danish team and a Danish setup that you could throw a player, a Pitlick in, who had a great tournament up until this point as well, but then can also crush it in the final. It's just really, really incredible. Uh, But obviously nothing to take away from. Yeah, and even even Giesel had a bad final remember uh was it the olympic final where he was shut down uh so my question is is simon putlik even better than giesel oh well (laughs) everyone can have a bad game (laughs) no but But like we just wait for the next final when someone tries to shut down simon putlik the problem is now there's not one of them there's Many of them. And more to come. Emil Madsen, another right back. Thomas Summer Anderson, a centre back. Like, scary times for uh, the rest of the world with young Danes. Before we go on to our alternative awards, should we just have a quick, uh, because you mentioned Jordi Ribeiro there, just a quick word on the bronze medal game. What a lot of fun that was. Holy shit. What a game. There was a, a clip online that I saw of the end of the first half and there was six goals in 80 seconds scored between the two teams it was three all in that period six goals in 80 seconds and i think you have to just think of the fitness of the players here and just how incredibly conditioned these players are they've played a full tournament I've, you know, I've done two fast breaks in my lifetime and I'm on my, on the ground about to, about to puke. Uh, but these players have played a full tournament and they're able to like sprint at full capacity for 80 seconds. This is, you know, this is doing 800 meter sprints in a row at the end of a three week tournament. That's just, incredible um and it was yeah it was great great fun for everyone involved yeah i think both teams got a lot of a lot of good things out of it sweden finding themselves again in that first half but bloody hell spain like that was that started the second half and i think that there's probably a lesson in there for 
for Sweden somewhere this whole final weekend. I don't know if it was just a little bit too much like their recipe for success last year. And then seeing that teams move on very quickly and develop very quickly and learn from from the defeats very quickly. Um, whereas Sweden, once Gottfriedsson was out, kind of reverted a little back, bit back to the recipe for success. But Spain at the start of that second half, a 6-1 run right at the beginning to like wipe out all... Imagine all that brilliance in the first half just being evaporated in a matter of minutes at the start of the second half. When that happened, there was no way in hell that bronze was going to anyone else but Spain. Like, what a way to just destroy your opponent. Do we like Spain again after that performance? Yeah, that's what I want to ask you, Alex. You've been on quite the roller coaster with the Spanish team now, and I feel like you're... you're there's a bit, of a, a bit of a happy ending now to uh, how you feel about this... Uh, not that type of happy ending. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> thank God this is behind the paywall, this part. Uh, but <laughs> how do you no, feel about the Spanish team now at this moment? Oh Christ! I'm sorry, Mum. For, for the live video, you do join our Patreon, and you will get the <laughs> very exclusive Triple oh X Club. <laughs> yeah, Alex is happy ending with Spain. No, go on. Tell us. Uh, tell us. Uh, how are your feelings now with the Spanish team? It has. You're right. It's it's been a real journey because what I've learned is that just I shouldn't go against Spain, even when my brain is telling me that they're not going to go through. I should just support them because at the end of the day, that's the most fun because Spain just, they stay in games. They, their, their games are the most fun because they have these ups and downs and this feeling that no game is ever finished until the very, very end. And we literally saw it at the very, very end in this tournament. Um, so that's it's just in, incredible fun when you are on their side. It's extremely frustrating if you're against them. <laughs> and if you're probably Norwegian listening to this podcast, yeah, you, you hate their guts. You hate their guts. But when you're on their side, which I was in in, in this bronze medal match, it was just it was a ride. It was a great great journey. The their aggressive defense is I don't know. I've, n- I've never seen it anything quite like that the how open they got in that defense how high they stepped up on all the Swedish players and how controlled it all was there was Mm. very few times where Sweden actually did just uh, break through that uh, mess that Spain created and um, it's just a lot of fun and Figueres on the line after all the shit I gave him in the last podcast as well, and their quality. But I think that's. I, I stick by my point. It was just the, the form. Like, if Figueres had a game like he did against Sweden in the semi final, it could have been a different issue because he was getting as difficult, sh- you know, passes and, uh, yeah, setups in this bronze medal match as he was in the semi final. Denmark were a bit better on the defensive end. Uh, but still, if he had a game like that, it could have been different. Um, especially that little broken wrist lob falling to the side was just a cherry on top for him. Nine from nine. Yeah, great stuff. So late last night, uh, this wasn't included on the broadcast. Or was it? No. I, don't, I don't think it was included anywhere in the broadcast. I think some people online were a bit confused because 
the way the EHF do it at Euro events, it's very public and they're handed often golden balls and stuff like that. But this was kind of a secret hush-hush. And then all of a sudden, about a tweet around midnight, we got greeted with the all-star team of the World Championship 2023. Uh, Andreas Wolf in goal. Uh, Nicholas Ekberg, right wing. Ludus Fabregas, line player. Angel Fernandez, left wing. Simon Pitlick, left back. Alex Ushabai, right back. Nadim Remeli, centre back. Matthias Gitzel, top scorer. Matthias Gitzel, MVP. Yuri Knorr, best young player. Very quickly, where would you... Is there any one player that you'd swap out? Just, I think it's one of those cheating all-star teams where you you want to include Giesel and Remili and Alex Dushbaev and Knorr, so you just give different awards for this. So, yeah, Where's the best defender? Yeah, <laughs> that's... Mm. <laughs> Probably anyway. just assume Fabregas because <laughs> yeah. he was already in it. See, if if yeah. Fabregas wasn't the best line player, they would have made a best defender <laughs> category and given it to Fabregas. Um, so that's that's my thoughts on the All Star team. I think you put Giesel at right back instead of Alex Dushibayev. Otherwise, I think it's it's decent. Yeah, nothing too much. Uh, on right wing, I had Antonio Area because I, I needed to give Portugal just a little bit of props. And he went 27 from 31 in the championship. I think he deserved my side. But otherwise, pretty good. Some pushback online about Remeli being in there as centre-back. I don't know what you thought about that, Chris. I think Remeli was... Uh, well, we'll go into our alternative awards very soon. Uh, but I think Remeli was fantastic all around. Just an all-around great performer. And I think we talked about what he did in the first half of the final. I think he has... This is still a, a fairly fresh role for him as a playmaker. And... He doesn't do it in the classic way, but I really like the way he he manages the role. So yeah, I'm I'd be happy. Hey, more left handers in the team, that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, look, Remley is a he is a playmaker. Deacon is the right back. Everyone knows that. Uh, for France at least. And so as we do each major tournament, now we have our own alternative awards and we've kind of stuck to mostly the same categories as we have in other ones, but we did ask our Discord chat for some suggestions on on new awards and we might be adding one or two in there so the awards we're going to be given this year uh the swiss army knife someone who's good at or can offer a lot at different areas of the court swiss cheese uh defensive moments defensive teams defensive players who kind of are maybe a bit lacking the iron face award a goalkeeper who's put his face on the line the butter knife someone who's really good at one thing and has done it really well but maybe I wouldn't say maybe lacks on other areas, but maybe just excels at one uh, one good thing, just like a butter knife does. Uh, random rocket, a player who pops up out of nowhere and just nets a random rocket, just laces the ball into the net. Catch me if you can. Forgotten. <laughs> this is one for our Discord. The catch me if you can award is to celebrate the most egregious rule violation, like steps landing in the area, etc., and someone who got away with it. So uh, mm. we do like that. So that, that that will be part of the category. We also have breakout star, breakout player, <clears throat> as well as the classic Adrian Shipash Award for shithousery. So we start with the Swiss Army Knife. Chris, what did you, who did you award your Swiss Army Knife to? A player who's good at both ends of the court, offers a lot in yeah. different areas. For me, it was a guy who kind of encapsulated doing everything possible for his team at the at the championship um there were two people i had in mind for it i'm not going to mention the one i uh, i'm not going to nominate in case you guys have him 
But so I am going to go for Egypt's Yahia Eldera. He's my Swiss Army knife for this one because I have uh, had the fortune of seeing a lot of Egypt at this championship, and he is on the stat line one of the guys with the most varied, I think, uh, set of stats in it. He's got thirty five goals at seventy percent, which I think is fantastic. Um, he was a great at breakthroughs. Scored eight goals in the backcourt. Only took one penalty for the whole thing. Um, and 32 assists. Only 11 turnovers. So that's pretty good. It's basically three to one on the assist to turnover uh, ratio. Uh, but also played a, a big role in the defense. In terms of steals and blocks, he wasn't too heavily involved. But he was always at the center of that Egyptian defense. And only had one two-minute suspension throughout. And every single game... He was just absolutely goosed at the end of it. And, and that that really it was really encapsulated, particularly in the Germany game, that you know, the the first playoff match for fifth to eighth, which went to extra time, and he was just a superstar in it. And at the end, he was so like devastated by it in this placement match. This guy gave everything for the team. Uh he we knew he was a great player before we know he has great better years to come as well as he adapts to life in Europe but I think for this Egypt team they needed somebody with Yahya Omar out and uh, for me he was the guy who really stepped up he, and he played everywhere in the the backcourt for them at a given time he's my Swiss army knife I like that a lot now Alex you have a lot to follow there because I think I might be already convinced of who my butter knife is going to be <laughs> your butter knife <laughs> oh, my uh, Swiss army knife sorry Swiss army knife <laughs> <laughs> I, I found it a bit bit tough this time around because so, there's a lot of players that did a lot for their teams, but they were also really, really good, which, you know, part of the Swiss Army Knife is kind of that secondary player um, that can do so much for a team. But I I went against that general logic and just said Ludovic Fabregas as the Swiss Army Knife because I think he is potentially the best he's the best two-way line player both in attack and defense but when you weigh up his capabilities on the defensive end and on the attack they're both at such a high level um which is incredible and the last part that does make him the swiss army knife for him is that defensively he is also incredible at getting steals so he is the number one steals leader in the competition with uh, 14 steals. And that's a lot more than just defending. That's also kickstarting your fast break. And he does that a lot. So he gets assists from that as well. So he's my Swiss Army knife. Yeah, I had Fabregas as well as my Swiss Army knife. Just for ultimate defending, decent on the fast break. Sets up the defense just everywhere, but I somehow maybe think I'm maybe a bit convinced by, by Chris's uh, <laughs> you shifted Chris's uh, monologue, so I might have shifted. Mm. So what do you think, Alex? Think we should give it to Eldora or Fabregas? It, it's it's tough because the yeah, yeah Eldora is Egypt's best player or was in the mm. tournament. Uh, in the last podcast, we called Ludovic Fabregas the best player in the world. I'm holding you to account here, Alex. <laughs> yeah, he might, he's he might the be the best player, player in the world, but he's not, not the best player in the French team. Player. <laughs> yeah, but he's not the best player in his team. So. <laughs> uh, that's, let, let's give 
Eldara some props. Uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm good with Eldara. Uh, I think, you know, we got to give Egypt some props in this championship. If so. we think about the initial yeah. winner of this was Christian O'Sullivan, I think Eldara kind of encapsulates that spirit a lot uh, for the team. Good. Congratulations, okay, good. Eldara. We go for the butter knife next, or? Uh, well, Swiss cheese. We'll get that one out of the way. I think it's a bit of a tricky one. Uh, what did you go for, Alex, here for Swiss cheese? Chris, did you have one? I did. Cape Verde as a team. Yeah, the team I had a okay. joy of uh, joy of watching a lot. Um, they were a good handball team. They just had absolutely no interest in defence, and <laughs> they kind of mastered a little bit in the preliminary round. But in the main round, it really came to the fore. Uh, they conceded the most goals in the main round overall, minus one hundred and eighty-one goal difference. Uh, when you consider that is what for a six game, no. Yeah, was it? no, they conceded 181 goals, not minus 181. <laughs> that would be pretty extreme. That's Uruguay levels of main round action. No, Cape Verde conceded 181 goals in the main round uh, in total. The three games, 40 conceded against Iceland, 35 against Portugal, and 42 against Hungary. That's some... Um, Swiss cheese defending. Uh, the keepers never really had a good time. It was all about the attack for them. Oh, I actually let, let me give a, a nomination, and uh, it might be a little bit harsh, but uh, I think it deserves it for this championship. And that is, I'm sorry if you're listening. You're a great guy, but the the Gabala brothers in the center of Poland's defense Ooh. get the Swiss cheese, and there's a specific reason. And they just couldn't handle the faster players. They're, they are fantastic defenders. They're a huge center block. But they just weren't mobile enough to play against some of the faster teams in this tournament that really tore them apa- apart. So it's a slightly strange Swiss cheese because they're still great defenders. But in this tournament they weren't able to adjust to the pace or to the players that were playing against them. And, you know, Poland conceded a lot of goals. Do you think it's it's better to have one of them at a time with somebody a bit more agile beside them? Potentially, I'm not sure who that solution is. Or they, you know, maybe change up the defense a little bit because they're, they kind of, they stand back as a team, but they also don't go too far up on the number twos. So, Maybe if you get the number twos a bit higher and start hassling those uh, fast back players and playmakers, you can make you can funnel those players into that big center court instead of just leaving them exposed in the center, not fully blaming them. Metaphorically, the whole Polish team is kind of a Swiss cheese. You know, they're letting their hopes and dreams slide away. Uh, Brian, <laughs> do you have anything? Uh, I just had a, a team that has historically a, a fairly decent defense. And now, due to maybe lack of lack of uh, star power, uh, have dropped off significantly over the years, and that will be um, where Macedonia's defence maybe is at the moment. Uh, obviously, to finish last in their in their group, couldn't get a result at all, and ended up in the Presidents' Cup, which is a fair drop off for them. Uh, so, I I don't think I did as much research into it as I should have so I'm very, very happy to concede on that one but I do like your Cape Verde one uh, Chris I'd be, I'd be happy to give it to Poland narrowing it down to players is always a, a good, good harsh way to go approach to, to <laughs> yeah good harsh way to go with okay. this let's give uh, it to the Gambala brothers congratulations there'll be no graphic uh, for that butter knife <laughs> I've got 
two butter knives. One uh, being Lucas Sandell for Sweden. Because he just, he, he didn't play that much in this competition. Lagergren was the number one right back for Sweden. And Sandell came on when Felix Clark came on. And then just did kind of the same thing. Felix Clark goes really fast into the center. And Sandell fakes to go outside and goes inside and scores. It just felt like every goal he scored in the competition was that. Um, so that's that's one nomination for the butter knife. Maybe Chris, give your one. I have two as well. I'll go for the first one. Um, Miguel Hansen. Oh, that's tough. Okay. I mean, I went, I went, I went big in the women's Euro, saying mm. Nora Mark. <laughs> I'm doing the same here. Pelty merchant it's, again. You know, you, we said it earlier. He passes the ball around, kind of same thing. Pants takes t- takes his penalties. He d- like he did have a lot of shots from open play this time, but it's always the when I mean, if you picture, close your eyes and picture a Miguel Hansen taking a jump shot. Yeah, it's his little hop in the center, sidearm shot mm. in. That's Miguel Hansen. Mm. A little bit harsh, but I thought I would go for go big. And the other one, I'll go quickly into. It's a positive one. Mads Mensa winning goals in finals. That's his. But that's all he does for Denmark. Comes in, wins gold. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my last, my last nomination was also Danish, um, and I think it does really. This is really the butter knife, right? No, and that has to be Nicholas Kirkelukke. Nikolai Jakobsen and his Danish team, they just, they had a bunch of steak knives. Beautiful, handcrafted <laughs> carbon knives that they're using all throughout the tournament. But there's just one thing on the table that this, all these beautiful knives just can't handle. Bit of butter. A, being the number <laughs> two defender. Spreading that butter. Bit of butter. Bit of butter on the table that he's trying to, you know, Giesel is a big, saber and he's just trying to get into that butter dish and it's just like oh it's not not really working so he's like you know what nicholas kirkaluka you don't even have to shoot (laughs) even so you know like we don't even need a right winger like you go out there and just you have fun Uh, all you're gonna do is defend that number two uh, in defense and he did it he got into that butter dish spread it out all over that french uh, French baguette and uh, <laughs> French baguette and uh, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Huh? Well, you can you can you can toast the baguette, um, but I think just for that monologue alone, I think we should give it to Nicholas Kirkalocka. I really enjoyed that. So yeah. I think uh, yeah, congratulations, Nicholas Kirkalocka. <laughs> and just to, just to, as as a bit of a disclaimer, because every single time we give out this award, someone goes, "How dare you call someone a butter knife?" It's actually a very big compliment. It's just they came in, they had one role to do, and they absolutely nailed it. And that's what Nicholas Kirkluck did at this at this event. Uh, congratulations also to Nicholas Landine for winning the Iron Face Award. Uh, I don't think we need to go through that. Uh, we can just say that straight up. We, I don't need to hear your nominations. Uh, Random Rocket Award. I'll start this one, since I do have one here. You mentioned Maz Mitzel-Arsen there, and I think his, his performance in the final coming in. And we said... There's going to be changes here for the Danish team. And in our Discord group, we said, uh, Alex said, uh, Mads Mensah Larsen incoming. And I knew what he was going to do. He's going to st- come out to the court, not jump, and just throw the ball directly down the middle of the court. And he's going to go over the keeper's head into the goal. And he did it twice. And it was just, it just what Denmark needed. It was just a random rocket, and you knew he was going to do it. So I think he's a good, a good nomination for the Random Rocket Award. It's a tough one to beat. Uh, I went with Hassan Kada for Egypt as a random rocket because... 
he he encapsulates the more random element. I feel like your description of Mad Spencer Larson was like a pinpoint missile. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he, he know exactly what he's going to do. He does that at random times, mm. so that definitely has the random rocket element. Um, but Hassan Kada was an absolute random rocket in this tournament. He wasn't really given a role uh, for Egypt and the team. He was just thrown on when they were struggling. And the coach said to him, just go out there and shoot. You're a giant man. Get the ball. Take three steps and shoot and see what happens. And uh, his randomness really showed up in that uh, quarterfinal where he went four from four mm. to start and then zero from three to finish, all in the space of 15 minutes where he was the only one taking shots. Yeah. Um, so he's my What I like about Hassan Kadaz, also his... Uh, when he's like, he's looking for the shot, first of all, at left back, it's not on. So he just goes around and he's like, ends up somewhere between the right back and right wing position and still manages to get, he's just so big. <laughs> he just manages to get the shot off. I had Euron Johannesson oh, as yeah. mine because I feel like he's he's turning into that kind of player where you really don't know what you're going to get from him. He's, he is going to ping one into the top corner, or he's going to ping one into the nets behind the goal. And it, it feels, it is almost like a random lottery, which one is going to come from him, because he is a great shooter when it works, but when it doesn't, it's, it's really bad. Um, and for this championship only, and last night only, with his circumstances, Rasmus Lauga getting 10 goals in the final was like as random as you could get. Uh, for me, so there were two I had in mind, but I I do, I do like your suggestions better. I don't know if if it has if your suggestions have influenced each other. I think you know that that my one sounds a bit more like a re- reliable rocket than a random rocket, and I think I probably agree with Alex. So I think maybe we would go with Hassan for that one. I think that's that's a good that's a good shout. And I think we did give um, uh, Mads Mansellarsson a random I think we rocket did, yeah. before. In his last performance in the True. World Championship, definitely, I'm pretty sure yeah. we we gave. And if him we have so it, then you know, at one point yeah. he's going to get the uh, lifetime achievement for a random rocket. <laughs> I feel like sh- should we just to kind of satisfy both parties here? Will we just name the award the Mads Mensa Larson random? <laughs> it has a good award. ring to it. I, 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 and I think once you've won it, once you've won it once, uh, you can't win it again because it's not random the next time. So, like, I think it's kind of almost a rule you have to be written into. Yeah. You can't win it twice because then it's not random. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. Okay. The Mads Mental Larson Random Rocket Award goes to... Hassan Kada. <laughs> okay. Catch me if you can. Just to uh, recap, Catch mm. Me If You Can, it is a new award. So, it is a, a player or a team that gets away with uh, some rule violation consistently. Uh, but they do get away with it. I feel like it's fitting for the Twitter discourse of this championship. It is the new version of the of France's landing inside from a wing shot. It's the Danish five-step. We talked about it already. Giesel and Pitlick. It could be the Giogi five-step even, but the Danish five-step sounds, <laughs> sounds like a bit of a dance move. Uh, but it's actually this thing, which, as we can only tell from replays, actually looks like a five-step, but in real time, hard to tell. It feels like something they've developed, and uh, it's 
I think it's a positive. <laughs> I think it's a positive step forward or five step forward. I don't care. So I I'm, I'm going for it. I think it is it is egregious. It is like a blatant uh way to to get past the the slowness of the referees. <laughs> and uh, and I've full credit, uh, giving full credit to uh Pitlick and Giesel for doing it. We did have a matchup in the final between the two biggest rule breakers, didn't we? We had Denmark and their five steps, and we had France with their landing inside. And there was only one winner to that, yeah. especially because one team <laughs> didn't get, get away with it. I have a, fee- I have a feeling though, DKMM and Dylan Nahi are going to learn the Danish five step now. They're going to work on it. That's their summer project, and they'll be back next season taking six steps. Did you see there was one point in the, in the second half where Remily tried it? And he tried to do the step thing, and it just blatantly took like seven steps. And the referee's like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Like, you know, the, the, the key the key to it is you have to be in a tackle or coming into a tackle, and it's there's a, there's a time into taking those five steps, but you can't just take them from left back running up to take a shot like Remily tried to do. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, so the French still have a lot to learn there, but I think it's probably safe to say congratulations to the gog step. I think it would call it the gog uh, step for winning. <laughs> We say it winning the the Catch Me If You Can award. That was mine as well. So mine was also the the Gog Five Step. The nomination from Starfish Robot, who came up with the award, uh, did say Alex Chan for clearly stepping over the line on a penalty shot. That was hilarious um, uh, <laughs> because this was not one in the replay, which I noticed. But on commentating the game while it happened, I said blurted out laughing because he so clearly stood over and the goalkeeper. I think it was it was against Bahrain. The goalkeeper was so like sure of it that he started complaining at the referee before the penalty was even taken there because he'd stepped over the line so far. He's like, look, look, look. And then the shot was just taken past him. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. But uh, yeah, that was mostly down to poor refereeing, I think. I think if you look at the, the whole... The, uh, zeitgeist. The, yeah, the, whole, the zeitgeist. I think the, you have to say that we're leaning heavily on the, on the Danish one here. But that's definitely a good shout out. So I think we'll give it to the gog step. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Breakout star? star. I think this is. I've two on my list here. Yeah, I I think it's more difficult than uh, you might assume. Uh, What are your two, Brian? I see. I have two now, and I feel like they're not really breakout stars because of how good they were. I feel like almost a breakout star is almost someone you don't know of who comes in. And I have two here, and I feel like they're not really breakout stars, but. I've Yuri Knorr and Simon Pitlick. I had the same. I feel two. like they've been. I had the same too. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> they, they were just so good. Like it's okay that they were so good. But you know they're almost too established to be. It was just like they were like the focal point of their teams of Germany and and of Denmark. And I feel like a breakout star. I don't know. Somehow it's just someone who just comes in and you're like, wow, I didn't expect that a decent performance, you know? But they were incredible. They were. I mean, they were all stars. So it's almost. Unfair to call them breakout stars to a certain degree, but what's what's your what was your thinking there? Especially Putlik, he is definitely unknown to the world. Like he was playing in uh, the Danish league, and well, okay, he was in the Champions League this year and and had some pretty impressive performances. Uh, but I think even like the Danish public did not know. Simon Putlik going into this tournament. They they weren't no one was talking about him and he wasn't even supposed to be that good. I think there was a lot of talk about Yuri Noor coming into and he he did live up to the hype. But Yuri Knorr 
was expected to break out. Simply mm-hmm. was not necessarily expected to break out. I think also because how Yuri Kinnor is an incredible talent, but just for maybe how wasteful he can be sometimes, he'll often have like five goals from 11 shots or something like that, but he's still the focal point of his team. So that would be kind of maybe leaning a little bit more towards Pitlick, who's not as wasteful maybe, and seems a little bit more mature for his age. And seems to take a little bit more everything in his stride. I mean, when when you, when uh, Pitlick got his medal around his neck, I don't know if you saw that, he didn't even look down at the medal. He was just like, oh, yeah. Just, just another one. This is one. This is going to be one of many coming up. And he just seems so unfazed. Got the medal. Wasn't even smiling. Medal around his neck. Doesn't even look down. If that's a child who gets that, I'm not, I'm not saying Pitlick's a child, but he's 22, like, you know? You'd be like, look at that. Oh my God, look, mum. Look, I got my medal. <laughs> he's just like, no, no. This is nothing. Wait to see what's going to be coming up in the next few years. So just for that alone, I think uh, I think Pitlick is, a ma- is the man for this award. What do you think, Chris? I, I fully agree. Yeah. It was a tough one, but uh, Pitlick, as you both said, you said enough on it. Uh, he. He's come the, in terms of like public perception, he's come the furthest in this mm. championship. Yeah. And uh, he's remarkable. I, I will give a little shout out. This is maybe not quite a breakout star. Maybe just like a late, the late bloomer award has to go to um, Jean-Pierre Dupois for Brazil, who is a second uh, division French player, 31-year-old. Came out of nowhere. He scored 36 goals. Uh, no, sorry, he scored uh, 35 goals from 43 shots on the left wing for Brazil. 81%. Put in an incredible performance out of nowhere. So that's just like a, a little shout out. That's a great shout out. Yeah, he was really impressive. All right, time for the big one. The big one, yeah. The main event. The Adrian Shippos Award for... Shithousery. Excellence and shithousery. <laughs> oh, sorry, excellence and shithousery. Excuse me. Excuse me. You have to be right. good at the shithousery. You can't just shithouse. Yeah. You also have to be good at it. Yeah, so so Adrian's really quick red card that game maybe wouldn't qualify as excellence because he didn't really get away with it. He just had a really quick red card. Do have to just commend this Hungarian team because the top two uh, players in the whole competition for punishments were... Number one, Benzaban Hidi. But we've spoken about his approach to defense before. He's more clumsy mm. than Shithauser. Uh, and number two, Adrian Shiposh. Uh, so, Who I feel, you know, they, they live yeah. up to their names. Yeah. I feel like uh, he's trying to clean up his act as well in the meantime. He's trying to get away with it more. He's, his focus in the second half of the championship was less suspensions, less red cards. And he, he has progressed there. But he's not... He's not my top dog for this. This is a tough one because I have a few like different, almost like subcategories in this. It is really become the most important uh, award of all. Yeah, I just gotta, this is. I'll give the... I'll give the headlines for mine, and then okay, we'll go. So right, more on the the shithousery side, the whole Rasmus Lauga being injured thing. Brilliant. I mean, just genius. From like, <laughs> uh, from one day, oh, we don't know if he's gonna actually play. To boom, you know playing the next day and then ends up winning the whole final. And just to add to that, the Hansen not being injured thing and then actually being injured. So to, to add to the... Denmark's, uh, Denmark's whole approach to sharing information 
the IHF having extra time and placement matches, brilliant shithousery. That is just like, um, <laughs> like what a way to fuck with us all. Yeah, I remember this is your comment too. You're like, this is going straight to penalties, and then it's like they're thrown off. You're like, oh well. I here we honestly go. have. Not, I think I think that was a mistake from them. I think it was uh, a mistake because yeah. all, uh, I, I so that was so funny because I heard Marcus Floth in the arena. Because I assumed, okay, it would go to extra time. They're the regulations. Then Marcus Loth was like, we're going to penalties. And so I said, okay, it seems we're going to penalties. And then there was this huge discussion with the bench, like with the table officials and all that. And then double extra time. And Egypt involved in two of them in, in uh, the space of three days. Uh, also delaying everything in the build-up to the bronze medal match. Hilarious stuff. IHF, go straight to penalties, please. <laughs> I just don't have these matches. Like... Yeah. Uh, but it, it did help me with my prediction of Germany for a bronze medal because Germany finished fifth yeah. and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that yeah. people laughed and everyone involved in I say everyone the two people involved in the Andreas Palika wrestling incident uh, Vidarsson that was shithousery in the first place leaning on the ball protecting it trying to present, prevent the fast break and then Andreas Palika losing his shit not so much shithousery, but like brut- that was the brutality. It's, you know, shithousery and brutality gets into this. And uh, that was an, a nice mixture of both. Also, because everyone realized quickly afterwards how embarrassing they looked and apologized. What makes it shithousery as opposed to brutality from Andres Palika is that he didn't, he didn't like throw a punch. Mm. He didn't like really push. What he decided that he could do was just dry hump Peterson <laughs> as a starfish. <laughs> like, no one can actually give a red card for a dry humping, right? <laughs> and I was like, what I loved about it as well is like, you're not trying to get the ball either. Like, you're not doing that. You're you're just causing a scene here. Like, you know, if you wanted to get the, you know where the ball is. It's under him. Reach under there and take it and grip the ball. But then grabbing his shirt and kind of just like, like rowing it like he's going to row a boat or something like that. And just causing the scene. I was like, this is, I've never seen that like that, like that before in a handball yeah. match. So that's why for me that, that has to get it, I think. I, I can't look past that moment either. My, my nomination was, was a player um, and in general. And that is Miguel Sanchez Miguel for... Spain, uh, he had nine two-minute suspensions in the tournament. And he does have a real kind of role to break shit up in that defense. He really comes in when Spain are doing their change of momentum. And he kind of comes in and he he hits the main player of the opposition team quite a lot in the face. Usually he's a little bit, you know, he only gets two minutes for them. So that's the shithousery part. He doesn't, he never got a red card, but he comes in and he, like, he's this kind of tall, lanky winger. So you're not expecting, like, you, know, oh, you have a sorry, I've elbowed him in the throat. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, when Spain are a team of the dark arts, yeah. you know, I wouldn't put it past him that uh, that is part of his role. So uh, uh, definitely one for the I, future. I think he, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yeah. maybe the breakout. We'll give him the breakout. breakout <laughs> we'll, give, we'll, give, we'll give him the uh, the Adrian Sheepos scholarship uh, for. <laughs> yeah, the, the, he's, he's part of our grassroots program. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love this award so much. This this award is the best fun. This one, yeah. But uh, so actually, they're both going to get in that that award because they were both partaking in that. One doesn't happen without the other, is what I'm thinking. I, I would give it to. 
Andreas Palika more because he he also I feel like he has a shithousery element to him in general. You know, he he's really kind of out there. He he shouts. Even his his saves, like he made a slide tackling yeah. save. That is that is shithousery. The moment is what wins this one, though, right? And you just like that the the reverse angle shot of Fiddersen protecting the ball like you can see a glint in his eyes like come on big boy what do you got <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but then also the way he, the way he would lie on as yeah. well like he's he was christ on the cross like oh i'm just i'm just a mere victim here like you know you're not trying to get up like you know just trying to get, and he's like oh whoa look at this i really i think i think <laughs> is, is one to, i like also vinison has has been a innovator in this championship with his like uh top spin half court shot from the into the empty net he need, he He's got something about him. I feel like this is a, a co-production. I want to want to bring these two together. It's a duet. A duet. I think they, I think they should both get it. Yeah, right. yeah, it's fair enough. All right, congratulations to Elodie Vidarsson and Andreas Palika for this that ludicrous moment, which uh, yeah deserves to be remembered in time. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone who has joined us for this World Championship. We had a lot of fun. We did the most podcasts that we've ever done for a world championship. Uh, 10 overall. Many great guests. Uh, and that was thanks to all of you who also signed up for the Patreon. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us on this journey. I hope you enjoyed the extra material, the guests, the, the chat in the Discord. We really thank you for your engagement. We maxed out a 98 during the championship. So just a couple more to get us to that 100 mark of patrons that, that was a, a target. And just to say that do stick with us. We will continue um, the extra content on the Patreon. We will continue to bring out exclusive podcasts on a more regular basis. The Discord server will still live and... We're going to think of many different things to provide to all of our uh, supporters in the patron. Let us know what you want from us, what you think would be a good benefit, uh, and we'll try to make that happen. So stay with us for this journey. It's just a start. It's going to get better and better. Lovely. Uh, thank you, Alex, as well, for uh, making that, driving the, the whole patron campaign. Thank you, Brian, for your amazing content on well both of you for your amazing content on twitter basically uh, for those of you who enjoyed all of that that was those two and uh yeah i had nothing and, to do and, with it <laughs> and of course the the last award that we have to give out is handball hour mvp and that goes to chris o'reilly for editing every single one of the podcasts <laughs> even when myself and brian committed to editing podcasts during this championship. <laughs> and he did that on top of how many games of commentary? Uh, God, I don't know. Too many. No, not too many. Give me more. <laughs> not enough. And, he was, and, he, and it, it was one of the things he pointed out before the tournament. He was like, guys, just so you know, I won't be able to do editing. Someone else is going to take this on. We're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I opened the program one time and I pulled the files in. And then I, a, Chris, a message from Chris goes up on the screen goes, so how's the editing going? And I was like, I've just opened it here. Go on, send it over. I'll do it. <laughs> You can't learn this on the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they promise. They promise to learn by the next championship. 
Oh, God. Yes. We'll come good. We'll come that's, good eventually. That's what your patronage will help. Uh, editing classes for Alex and Brian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you, well, the handball is still going on in all the other competitions, and so will we. I'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.